Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your hosts, Joe Rowles and Jeff Essery. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I'm Jeff Essery. And I am Joe Rowles. How is it going? It's going good. We are in the throes of off season, and just so the podcast will be dropping on a Thursday. But pro days were just some of the re- early returns were coming in yesterday. We won't talk draft today. That'll be in the future. But gosh, did you see J.C. Horn's numbers come through and Patrick Sertan's numbers? Like, look at the, those corner numbers are ridiculous right now. I don't know if you're just baiting me or not because I feel like I'm being a hater with these two. <laughs> no, like this has been a th- and again. I'm not doing this for a brand thing. Like people, people throw that at me now. They're like, "Oh, you're just hating because it's your brand." I'm like, "No, no, it's not. It's both J.C. Horn and Patrick Sertan like had this amazing workout, but neither one of them did three cones or short shuttles, and I hate it because the biggest question about both of them is their change of direction. Like yeah. I know, I know Patrick Sertan can run. Like, I, I'm not worried about his long speed. I'm worried about the fact that, like, when he's playing off coverage, can he click and close fast enough to, like, make a tackle in the Broncos' off, uh, defense? And the fact that, and granted, again, like, drills like this don't answer that question in and of themselves, but it provides you context. And as a general rule, and I was talking to another draft guy about this, uh, PFS Austin Gale, and he was, and, and I mentioned to him, I was like, dude, it drives me nuts that guys skip these workouts. And he's like, here's the thing. Agents are too smart. Like if they think the numbers aren't going to be good, they're not going to do it because like then the NFL team just doesn't know. 
Yeah. So the fact that they didn't do those drills to me, it's it's a red flag. Yeah. Well, and also like you get the perfect numbers on your vertical and your 40 and you're like, look, I'm going to wrap it in. You know, like you don't want anything overshadowing that workout because it's a, it's a headline workout, you know, and it gets people's attention. And that's, that's the biggest thing that you want out of this process. I mean, I'm, I'm on the other side or I'm, um, I'm with you and, you know, could be called a hater as well. But like my thing looking at those numbers is like, can they cover? Like, I don't care what they run. Can they cover? And they can. You know, and they both can. Yeah, yeah. You go, the, you go to the tape, and they can. And so that's the biggest question. But it is kind of eye popping the numbers for sure. It, and I just and again, we're not going to go too. I'm not going to browbeat you with uh, draft stuff too much. But I just I have to say this because so many people have been asking me this today. Yes, I do think that J.C. Horn is a first round cornerback. Yes, I would not be upset if the Broncos took him. But the big question I have about both Sertan and J.C. Horn, Horn more so. Is their coverage in off, like off, not pressed up on the line of scrimmage? And the problem, like quote unquote problem, is Fangio last year and most years doesn't ask his corners to press a lot. You and I have both watched this tape with Prince of Mukamura. He does do it. Like if the corner is better pressing, he will do it. But typically the defense is not designed to do that. So both of them, they do get a red flag for me for that. That's that's the only thing. And it'll be interesting, I think, and, and to pivot over to kind of our topic today of just overarching offseason and the moves that have been made. I mean, frankly, I haven't dug a ton into the draft yet because I wanted to see how the offseason shook out to see kind of what position groups, because, I mean, really cornerback at number nine is, I'm not going to say it's off the table given the way that they've signed guys in free agency, but it, it makes it way less of a sure thing, like without Ronald Darby and Kyle Fuller being brought in, they were going cornerback at number nine. If they weren't going cornerback, right? You had to. Now they have so much more flexibility. And we're probably, you know, before Kareem Jackson, the Kareem Jackson news, I was talking, okay, well, what about safety now? And then Kareem Jackson gets signed. And so it just goes to show like things, you really do have to wait and see how everything comes together as you lead up to the draft. And so that's what we wanted to talk about today because it does feel like we're kind of at a point where the roster is beginning to get solidified. It doesn't mean that they're not going to continue to make moves. And we'll talk about that particularly at the quarterback position, but um, things have, there's been enough moves made that really the Broncos roster is starting to, to shape up. And I mean, I was on a, I was on a radio spot um, Monday morning and the question was kind of, you know, Hey, what other, you know, are they going to pivot over to the offense? What, what other holes do they have to fill? Cause they've been so heavy on defense and, you know, not to not to do a spoiler alert or whatever at the beginning of the podcast, but I mean, they feel pretty damn solid right now. You know, like that's that's my conclusion over it. You know, we'll talk through all the details and everything, but there's not a lot of just gaping holes right now across the Broncos roster, except obviously that big glaring one at quarterback, depending on where you fall on can can you ride with Drew Locke this season? But other than that, I mean George Payton, I think, has done a great job setting Denver up for in the draft to really do whatever they want to do. And I think it's kind of interesting because back when George Payton was hired, I know I was really concerned that he was going to go cheap in part because of the way it was being reported of like, Oh, he might just bring a couple guys back, kind of ride out the off season and see what's up. Cause it's his first year. And it's like, that would have been terrible. Like from a Broncos perspective, because cornerback was such a huge need. But not only did he go out and get Ronald Darby, and again, I have concerns about Ronald Darby. I wrote my piece for it. I The big question for me is soft tissue injuries. 
I know what he said. Uh, he he's I don't have the quote right in front of me, but he he was uh did an interview with Mike Kliss from uh, uh Nine News, and he was talking about how after Philadelphia he changed his diet, did more outside the facility, and that's like a big part of why he was healthy in Washington. And th- again, that may very well be true. But the thing is, all like he thinks that he believes that, and it may very well be true. But we also still have his his career history dating back to 2015 that he has been hurt. So I do have some concern about it. But in terms of on the field, he's a great signing. And not only that, but this year he only cost four million dollars against the cap. So in a year where the cap went down, not only did George Payton collect all these guys and bring all these guys back, but the way he maneuvered the cap, the Broncos still have somewhere between twenty and thirty million dollars in cap space. Which well, is insane. About that. Yeah, let's talk about that because it, it really starts to compound when you look across all the moves. And you and I were talking about this right before we turned it on, um, turned the the podcast on. So you look at Ronald Darby. He's ten million average a year that he'll get over the course of three years, and at least he'll probably see the first two years based on the way the guarantees are structured. Now, you know who knows on the third. But the thing with Darby is he's he's twenty seven this year, and so. He's actually a younger guy that you, that you pick up in free agency. But so average of 10 million a year, but he only counts 4 million against the cap this year. And so Denver is kicking a lot into the next two years. Um, he's worth 13. He's going to have a $13 million cap number in the next two years. So that's Darby. That's number one. And then you go over to Shelby Harris's contract and it's a very similar story. Um, he very well, could see, I, I think he'll see the first two years of his deal um, based on the way the, the contract is structured. He may not see that third year. He turns 32. Denver could save $9 million by cutting him. So, you know, there's there's flexibility there. Mm-hmm. But he's only worth $4 million against the cap this year. And so the next two years are going to – he'll be um, having an $11 to $12 million cap number. And then you were talking the Justin Simmons numbers right joe so um let's pull those up as well so that's shelby harris at a nine million a year only costing four that's ronald darby at a 10 million a year only costing four and then justin simmons signs you know kind of resets the safety market and signs a contract worth around 15 million per year and you know we'll see what happens with with his he turns 30 and 31 on the back two years of his deal when some of the guarantees start to fall off so you know denver has flexibility obviously but at least the first two years are pretty much locked based on guaranteed money and he's only going to be counting against the cap for 5.7 this year at a 15 million dollar average per year so that means denver is really really backloading every one of these contracts one because of the i would assume because of the lowered cap number overall this year based on the kind of the covid cap two based on i think everybody in the league is projecting the cap to really explode after this year mm-hmm. and maybe three maybe they're planning some more moves right maybe they're trying to stay flexible for a big move potentially still this year and that's so that I feel like that hangs over all of this, and, and 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 it's there's a lot to unpack with it, and and I'm I'm afraid I'm gonna butcher it, so I just I want to start out here, just because like we don't know the allegation, like we don't know what's going on with Deshaun Watson, like we have to say that up front. I don't know. I'm not trying to defend Deshaun Watson. I'm not saying it's a conspiracy. I'm not like I've had people do like people have been all it's crazy, man. 
It's been like this for a week now. All I am saying, and I've been saying this on Twitter, the same thing. We don't know, but you look at the way the Broncos have maneuvered the cap in free agency to this point. Every time George Payton has gone to make a big move, he's restructured a deal or cut somebody. Or like right before they reworked the deals for Justin Simmons and went out to sign Kyle Fuller, they uh, cut Nick Vanette. They restructured Brandon McManus and Mike Purcell. So he created cap space to sign these guys. And the way it worked, it almost looked like the, the way they were handling it, it almost was like the Broncos were treating it like they were up against the cap ceiling this whole time. They weren't. At no point were the Broncos actually capped out. They entered the offseason with essentially $30 million in cap space. They still have $30 million in cap space. So that's like been a thing kind of in the back of my mind this whole offseason to this point. And then obviously the allegations came out very serious. And again, believe women. Like I'm not, we just don't know. Like you have to like keep that part of it in mind. But the thing that I'm just kind of like sharing this based on like what I've seen in John McClain, who covers Houston for the Houston Chronicle, basically said there were teams and the Texans were looking to start fielding offers to trade Deshaun Watson. And their hope was to retrieve three first round picks, two second round picks and a defensive player. There is a belief from McClain that there were multiple teams willing to do that. There has been reports throughout, like since the allegations came out, that teams are very closely following the situation because, and, and again, with the belief that if Deshaun Watson is clear of this, and again, I'm not saying he is, but if he is, teams would again start to try and acquire him. And you just look at what the Broncos have done right now. They've essentially patched every single position that looked like there was a question except for linebacker and quarterback. But there's no linebackers in free agency. And again, I'm not trying to hate on Eric Wilson. I know some people really like Eric Wilson. But there's not big ticket linebackers in free agency. And at this point, there's not a big ticket quarterback left. The big ticket guys were Cam Newton and Ryan Fitzpatrick. They're both gone. The biggest, the biggest free agent quarterbacks at this point is Alex Smith, if you think he's healthy enough to still play. Or Chase Daniel, who's a career backup, who's made a lot of money being a career backup. And I'm actually open to Chase Daniel as like a backup slash mentor type for Drew Locke if they go that route. But I don't think they're saving $20 million in cap space to sign Chase Daniel. Yeah, and so I think the biggest question lingering out, and I think you put it well, Joe, is what is Denver planning to do with that cap space? And, you know, you could make the argument that they're staying poised for all possibilities. I and mean, I think that's what they're doing. I'm not yeah. I'm not saying they're locked into Watson. I'm saying that yeah, they're yeah. keeping the door open. Yeah, and, and you know, that that's consistent with a lot of the reporting that's been put out all, se- all offseason is that – if if he became available, that was a big if. You know, if the price was right, that was a big if. If 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 Denver would be interested, right? Like they would be interested in any avenue to make their team better. And George Payton would be aggressive in that area. And so I think this is the team, you know, leaving that option potentially open from a cap space perspective. And what is there to lose really is if, if it doesn't pan out, you you roll over a lot of that cap space into next year. And you're kicking your kicking your money into that that next year anyway. So you just roll it over to help out and you expect to have a larger cap um, next year anyway. And so I do think that it's uh, I think it's a good approach by Denver. If you weren't if you weren't hedging and wanting to maybe leave the door open a little bit for Watson, I potentially would have liked to see them try to stack a little bit more of the money in this year just because it is it's a lot like you're you're 
you're backloading a lot of those deals. But also when you look at the contracts, I mean, we said it with Shelby Harris, who knows about Darby, but there's a couple of these that I'm not sure that they get to their full deal. Same. Shelby Harris for sure. I don't think Shelby Harris sees the third year of his contract. I think Shelby Harris's contract is going to end up being really dependent on what happens with Draymond Jones and McTelvin Ajim. Yeah. And again, I love Shelby Harris. I'm not trying like again. And again, I, I only say this because people, I, I get a lot of messages about this stuff. It's not personal at this point in the off season. Like Twitter yeah. feed, man. What, what kind of messages are you getting? It's, I'm, but no, but like, but I'm just saying like, it's our job to analyze this. Like, I'm just yeah. saying like, it's, I'm, I'm looking at this from perspective of team building the way Shelby Harris's contract is structured. If they end up having to pay Draymond Jones market setting kind of money. If they have to move on from Shelby Harris, they can do so to do that. And I feel like that's how he planned this. Yeah. I mean, Shelby Harris in the last year of his deal is going to be 32 years old too. And so that was, it's a similar situation to what you had this year with Jarrell Casey. He was due a lot of money. There wasn't um, any guaranteed money on it. He was older coming off an injury. And so if the team could move on from him, they would. And so, you know, it depends on how he plays and I hope he plays well for the next couple of years and, and good on him for cashing in and, and earning the, the contract that he did. But I just think it's, it's unlikely given what we've seen from the, like I've seen enough in the league to, to think that I don't know that Shelby Harris will get his third year, which is fine because he'll, he'll make good money in those, those first two. And he got his guaranteed money. Really. Uh, he got a good chunk of guaranteed out of those first two years. And so with that, let's dig into like, the specifics of each move. Um, yeah. Was there anything that surprised you? What was maybe your favorite move so far of what George Payton has done? I mean, signing Kyle Fuller right off. And again, like you and I have been pining for Kyle Fuller since we studied the 2018 bears. Right. So not only did the Broncos get him, but essentially he hit free agency and I want to say it was 34 minutes later he signed with the Broncos. So I think the Bears held on to Kyle Fuller for an extra day in the hopes of making George Payton trade for him because he knew that's where Kyle Fuller was going to go and it didn't work. And George Payton called his bluff, still got him, got him on a one-year deal. It's nine point, I want to say it's $9.5 million. It's one of the only big money this year deals other than Vaughn Miller that George Payton essentially took on. Yeah, if you look at their cap numbers from this year, Denver really isn't doesn't owe a lot of um, mm-hmm. big money in cap hits. I mean, it starts to they have three guys in double digit cap hits right now: Von Miller, Jawan James, and Glenn, Graham Glasgow. The rest is all um, you know in the eight nine million range. And um, over the cap doesn't have his deal updated yet. No, I don't think I, they I, have this. I don't think they have the actual contract. Um, yeah. I've actually looked, I looked at over the cap and I've looked at spot track because they both, they'll both do this, but the fact that they don't have, I don't think they have the contract, so they just haven't put it up yet. And that's why the cap estimates on both of them are slightly off too. Um, so keep that in mind. That, range, that was reported. Um, it was, it was around the $9 million range, uh, for a one year deal. Yep. And so, yeah, I agree with you. I was, I tweeted out that, you know, it just made so much sense. I think it was even more of a no brainer than the Bryce Callahan move a couple of years ago. Agreed. And fits so well because Denver does have Bryce Callahan too. And so now you have two of the three corners that Fangio had in that great 2018 defense. You have great pass rush like he did in that defense. And so these guys already know the system. And Kyle Fuller's still playing at a really high level. Like I love his game. Um, I think he fits really well 
obviously into Vic Fangio's system. He wasn't drafted into that. He was drafted by the Bears before Fangio got there. He was one of the few pieces of talent that Fangio had when he joined the Bears before he overhauled the entire roster and he hung on to Kyle Fuller. And, um, you know, Fuller became an all-pro under Vic Fangio. And so I think he'll provide a nice boost to the secondary from a ball hawking standpoint. I think he's smart in that regard. I think he baits quarterbacks. Um, he reminds me a little bit of Darius Slay in that regard in terms of the way that he baits. Obviously, Slay is more of a man coverage guy and stuff, but um, the way that he baits quarterbacks. And uh, he's a tough guy, too. He can, he can come up and tackle. And he fits. He he just plays so well within this system. I just re- recall all the times that we watched Fuller and Bryce Callahan working together mm-hmm. with Callahan in the slot and Kyle Fuller, and they're passing off receivers. And they knew it was a well-oiled machine back there. And so you have you pair that with Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson now, and you throw Ronald Darby in the mix. I mean, Denver has a pretty dang good secondary now. And that's probably my second favorite move was bringing back Kareem Jackson that we're on the topic. I mean, I was getting a little worried once Jackson left, like I got the move, you know, he was due a lot of money and he's an old, he was getting older. And so I get why they moved on with him to begin with. And I think they had a pretty good idea that you could, um, they could bring him back. It's similar to the way John Elway handled Shelby Harris last year. He let Shelby Harris test the market he tested the market. There wasn't really, you know, he, it was a little bit soft for his services. And so they just brought him back at a cheap deal. And so Denver did a little bit of the same thing with Kareem Jackson. But now you have more continuity back there in the secondary. And you're not chasing a safety either in free agency or in the draft, which is, you know, where Denver was probably going to have to go to start looking for a starter if you don't bring back Kareem Jackson. So now, man, you've got so much experience in Fangio's defense now with Justin Simmons locked up. You've got Kareem Jackson back there now. Callahan and Fuller, as long as Callahan's healthy, I mean, they should hit the ground running in the offseason. And so it'll just be about getting Ronald Darby up to speed. But, man, I'm, I'm really excited about this secondary. And if the pass rush can stay healthy, this defense can finally, I think, be what Vic Fangio really wants it to be, that he hasn't really had the the – the horses to do in the last two years because everybody just keeps getting hurt. And one of the things I like, there's, there's going to be people that'll complain about the fact that the Broncos are spending so much money on their secondary. Um, I don't know when it, it, I don't, I can't tell you when it's going to happen, but I know it's going to happen because people were complaining about the fact that Kareem Jackson and Justin Simmons were making that much money like together. But here's the thing. And again, like you and I both know this, it's a passing league. The Broncos were in dime or nickel 75% of the time last year. Like you can't, you can't have too many good corners in today's NFL. Yeah. And you you figure that they'll continue to, they'll continue that trend. And you look at the, some of the health issues that they've had. And I would say that they're still not done at quarterback at cornerback either. I don't think Uh, so either. I wouldn't be surprised seeing them go corner in the draft and maybe even the first three rounds, depending on how it shakes out. And I would be happy with that. I think draft, I think corner and safety are still on the menu from a draft pick perspective to get guys into the system, get them trained up, and then they're ready to take over if perhaps Bryce Callahan, you know, continues to get hurt. Maybe he doesn't work out. And then for sure, Kareem Jackson's probably not going to stick around past this year. And so I think you still have to draft a safety, but you're you're now training young guys up. And then people have floated too. Maybe you, you know, OJ Mudia was talked about um, when he first joined the team 
he had played a little bit of safety at Iowa and the, the coach at Iowa had said, you know, we loved him at safety. We just put him at corner because he was more talented or we needed more help there because he was so talented. He could play both. And so, you know, maybe he plays, a, he pulls a Kareem Jackson and switches from corner to safety and, and fills that spot. Who knows? I'm just speculating, but um, you know, you, you have some options there for Denver, but I do think, you know, this is the time now to load up on, on young talent to kind of get them infused in once the, the older guys fade out next year. Well, it's, it's kind of like the Packers or Steelers approach in like past years where you draft a guy, but you're not necessarily drafting a guy because you need him to play right away, but you draft him. He's in the system and he's there and he, he's incubating. Essentially he's trained up in the system. Um, and honestly, it, that's one of the things I like so much about what the Broncos did is they don't have a need that is so great outside of court. Again, in my opinion, outside of quarterback that they have to address in the draft. If like, if they get to the draft and they haven't done anything else uh, again, yes. Linebacker is a little bit of a question. Alexander Johnson is good. He has some questions in coverage. Josie Jewell is pretty, he's solid ish. I would say he's adequate in coverage. So like, if you can upgrade on him, I would prefer it. But again, if that's a big issue in 2021, they have the personnel that they could go die more now. Like you move, you move Bryce Callahan and Ronald Darby into the slot, and he has done it. You bring Ojemudia outside, you have a pretty strong dime group if you wanted to run that way, and then you have Alexander Johnson there. Or if they believe in Justice or not, like there's options, and that's what's great. Um, I know there's a lot of talk about that George Payton might trade down. Honestly, especially now that Caleb Farley's medical stuff is like really kind of hit the fan. Like I had questions about it before, but like now they like he couldn't even work out because of his back. Like I would say right now, I would not take him ex- outside of like the end of the first round, just because you don't even know. Like you have no idea. Um, teams will probably have a better idea than I do, but like I would feel really anxious about that. But with that all in mind, like if they're not going quarterback, the value of the draft is actually to trade down. Yeah, and it it, it opens up things when you don't need that guy that you take in the first round to contribute right away. I mean, obviously you would like for him to, right? But you don't need him to. And so it opens the door even for uh, like tackle. You can take a tackle. Yeah. You read my mind. You go, you know, you don't know what Juwan James is going to do after this next year. Um, And so you have the ability to put a guy under Munchak and develop him for right tackle for the next year. And, you know, you would, if you're, if you're hurting a cornerback, if you have a hole at safety, you really have a hard time pulling the trigger on that guy in the first round when you have other, you know, stronger needs. But now that those needs are filled, you can really go any which way. I there's, there's this perpetual like thing on Twitter where people will say like every quarterback is not going to be available at nine. Penny Sewell is not going to be available at nine. Kyle Pitts is not going to be available at nine. The thing is there's five quarterbacks, Penny Sewell and Kyle Pitts. That's seven guys. Odds are one of them will be available. But I'm just saying, if Penay Sewell or Kyle Pitts falls to nine, like I'm tempted. I'm very tempted. It's kind of the math of last year's draft, and I know we said we want to talk draft, but it, it's kind sorry, of sorry. No, it's it's just it's impossible not to. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think it's kind of like the math of last year's draft. You started to look at the top and like the elite talent that was there, and you started doing the math, and you said, okay, one of these guys is going to be available for Denver. And so I think particularly once we get a little bit closer to the draft and teams start to you get a little better feel for them declaring more of their true intentions. I think you will see that situation of, you know, there's perhaps one guy will potentially shake out there at nine. I mean, I'll throw another random scenario out there too. And this is one that you've brought up, Joe is 
you know, if you don't need that guy at one at number nine to contribute right away, you have the opportunity to start to trade back and accumulate picks for next year, maybe to make a big move at quarterback. Cause that's been kind of Denver's big thing is if you're winning games, enough games where you don't fall in the top five, you're kind of screwing yourselves out of the top quarterbacks every time. And so, you know, if, if there's a quarterback that's, hanging around at nine that Denver doesn't feel good about, but maybe somebody wants to come up and get, can you pick up an extra first round pick? You pick up a something for next year that you can use as ammo to then say, okay, if Drew Locke doesn't work out, if our plan at quarterback doesn't work out in 2021, we're really geared up in 2022 to make a big move and, and have some draft capital to do it. And so I wrote a po- uh, wrote a piece for Mile High Report today. Uh, yesterday, like if you guys are listening to this, it came out yesterday. I looked at all 32 teams and how likely they are to be chasing a quarterback because I do think that that's something we should probably, again, right now, we don't know. It looks like the Broncos could be chasing quarterbacks, so we have to approach it like that. And in that scenario, it pays to pay attention to who else is out there. And the thing is, there's probably five teams in the top eight that make sense either to take a quarterback or to trade. But then you look behind Denver, there's the 49ers, Washington, Chicago, Pittsburgh, New Orleans. The Patriots, all those teams make sense. So, like, if Mac Jones falls to nine and George Payton doesn't want Mac Jones, they could feasibly get more picks to move back. Like, it makes a lot of sense. And to your point, if the Broncos are, if if George Payton is locked in this year, I really hope that that's what they do because I don't think this roster is bad enough to fail to the top. And I didn't before free agency, but now that the Broncos have done this, Unless they have like an epic injury rash like this year. And again, I'm not ruling it out, but if they're even like sort of healthy compared to last year, they're too good to, to lose into the top five. Like they're going to need ammo to get into the top five if they're chasing quarterbacks next year. And so if they're, if that's the plan, they need to, they need to get extra picks to do it. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting point too, is that this team right now, and I think you've said this a couple times on Twitter, really is a quarterback away from making a big run at the division right now. I'm not saying to knock off Kansas City, but to make a big run at, I mean, obviously the wild card has been expanded. Um, I I think, you know, with a quarterback in tow, Denver has as good a case for the number two spot in the division as anybody. I, I haven't been a big fan of the Raiders moves. I'm not sure what they're doing this offseason. And the Chargers have Justin Herbert, and they'll kind of go as he goes, right? And so does he get a sophomore slump, or does he continue to to speed upwards like he did at the beginning of the season last year? And, of course, they have a new coach and stuff, um, and I like Brandon Staley, and I think he'll do well there, but I don't know how poised they are right away to come in and make a big splash in the division. And so if anybody's going to take on Kansas City, I think it's probably Denver with the defense that they're building. And so – and even if they don't, you know, maybe you, you still get swept by Kansas City, and you, but you do well outside of Kansas City and the rest of the division, the rest of the AFC. Denver is really, I mean, they have a really good roster. They could win games. It's It all just comes down to the quarterback position. I mean, I think offense as a whole, because they were so bumpy last year and you couldn't pin it all on the off, on, on the quarterback. Like we talked about this. We, we looked at it, you know, the offensive line struggled, the young receivers struggled, but a lot of that I think is going to be ironed out with another year in the system. You get Cortland Sutton back. Like the, the pieces around the quarterback are getting better this year. 
we don't know if the quarterback is going to get better this year. And so I think that's obviously why it's the biggest question mark. But with a quarterback, I mean, Denver's one of the, you know, kind of a contending team in the AFC. Well, and here's the other part of it that really helps. Even if the Broncos can't beat Kansas City this year, they're playing the AFC North on their schedule this year and the NFC East. And then outside of that, if it goes to 17 games, and I think we all know that it's going to probably go to 17 games, they will end up getting the Detroit Lions. That's almost definitely a win as long as, you know, fluky things happen. But, like, I would assume right now that they will beat the Detroit Lions. The Lions look like they're set to try and tank out for next year. That's what it looks like they're doing. The Steelers are cap-strapped. Like, they've lost talent, and they just released Steven Nelson. So, like, unless Big Ben is, like, back in the day, Big Ben, like, they're probably in trouble. Like, the Broncos could be a playoff team this year if Drew Locke doesn't completely suck. And, I, and again, I don't – I know that sounds really harsh, but the thing is I expect Drew Locke to improve off last year because he was awful last year. Like, like the, the question isn't if he's going to improve. The question is how much is he going to improve, and that's where I'm skeptical. I don't think he's going to improve enough to be a good quarterback, but I think if he's even passable – the rest of the roster, as long as Pat Shermer doesn't screw it up, like I think they can win games with him. Yeah, and so that does, I think, it changes your mindset going into next year's draft. It has too, to. You assume that you know you're not going to be in a spot to get your quarterback, so you've got to have a plan to get him outside of that. Um, and you know, like we've said a couple times, if you're you could be counting on Drew Locke to to make that step. I think that's just as risky as any of the other moves that you could make at, at quarterback this year. But maybe that's their plan is just see what you have in Drew Locke and then you, you load up for 2022 and, and know that you still have most of your roster intact and, and see what you can do. But, um, I mean, Denver really is when you look across this roster, which is exciting. But, again, I mean, I feel like we said this last year too when yes. we were going into it and obviously COVID and, and all of the injuries and we didn't anticipate losing Vaughn Miller and, and all of that, um, or Cortland Sutton, like this roster looked really good on paper last year too. And so you know, hopefully all of it holds true, but um, this is even prior to the draft. Like Denver is in a really good spot from a free agency standpoint. And then they still have to, they still have a lot of talent that they can add in the draft. Well, and the thing, like, I feel like it makes sense that we're high on the roster at this point because we were high on the roster last year, because essentially what, and again, I, I know certain there's certain local. I, I want to say uh, the fans, and I might mispronounce his name, James Merrillat. His he he's been really vocal on Twitter, like, oh, we keep saying George Payton did this whole like all a lot. All he did is resign people and sign three free agents. Yeah, but that's because last year's roster was pretty damn good. They just got hurt, and then Drew Locke was disappointing. And again, I'm not trying to hate on him, but it's just that's the facts. And so yeah, it makes sense. Bring everyone back that you can. Hope to God you're healthier. And improve the roster through the draft. Like, that's what Peyton is doing right now. He's providing himself flexibility, and we're going to get to that in a second. But the other thing I really like that they did is the fact is, like, because they can go best player available if they ha if they do go that way, even if it's not what I think that they should do, because, again, I think if you're going locked in, you should trade back. But if they just decide to take the best player available at nine, odds are that's an impact player right away. Yeah, and it'll give. It's interesting because it gives George Payton some flexibility. I mean, obviously he has the scouting background, and he can. His plan is to really. I mean, he's going to be on the pro day circuit, and it really gives him a chance to not be hamstrung. Of I have to draft this particular position group. He can really go find his guy that that he really likes in this draft, 
if he wants to stay at number nine and say, just give me, let me just, let me just find the best guy that I can find at number nine. And so I really like that as, and, and as a new GM, I mean, he's got to like that too. Like you, you have so much flexibility and you can kind of um, take your pick of, of who you want. I, I do want to uh, come back to a, a quick point that you made. And this is, I want to caveat by saying so far, I've been a really big fan of George Payton. I, I like the, I like the, the move. Um, and I've liked what he's done. I mean, obviously we've been talking about it for the last half hour of all the, the stuff I liked, but I do think, I don't disagree with the point that, um, with, that James made that you brought up. And I, and I, you know, put this out as a little bit of a hot take in our, in our chat the other day and got some flack for it. Um, but really, and we said this going in, regardless of who it was, like whether it was George Payton or, or whatever, before the GM was really locked um, locked in and we knew who we were going to sign, is the, a GM wasn't going to come and sprinkle some magic fairy dust and fix the team. Like the, the team was in a spot that like the moves were pretty clear that you needed to make. Like they, they weren't in a spot like the Lions or yeah. something. It's like you could go in a ton of different directions. You could blow up the roster. You could do all of this. Like you need to do all of this. You need to clean house. Like the coaching staff was in place. Um, I mean, not was, in cap hell. Yeah, there was talk of, okay, well, what does he come in and maybe try to clean house on the coaching staff? Well, I mean, the coaching staff was pretty solid. You, you want to continue to give them um, the time that, that, that they need and I think have proven that they deserve. So, you know, they were in place. Um, the There was a lot of layups that we, you know, I called it. And it doesn't mean that they're, they were, I say that in a positive way. Like George Payton walked into the, I think that's why he took this job. He walked into a really good situation. And so it's not that, I, I, like, I like the moves that he's done. But it's also not moves like it's not dissimilar from if John Elway had stayed here. And and I say that as a compliment because I liked John Elway as a GM and like I thought he did a good job on a lot of the moves that he did. And so it's just interesting that like I agree with a lot of what George Payton has done, but it's it's not some he hasn't you know hit some magic GM button that has made all of this happen. He's done a lot of the you know same stuff that we assumed that he would do. And he's he's hit the layups that we expected him to make. He re-signed well, Justin Simmons. He brought back Von Miller. Like that's easy stuff that you can do, and he made it happen. So kudos to him. But you know that's it's kind of what was expected at this point. Well, as a as a casual basketball fan, I want to point out that the the two most efficient shots in basketball are layups or shots right around the rim, and three pointers. And as of right now, the Broncos have taken a ton of layups, and they are well positioned to take a three pointer. If that's what they decide to do, and it's March Madness, so it is March Madness, so it feels like it's on on brand, yeah. But like, uh, but the other thing is, I feel like, and again, I don't, I think this is kind of a tangent. I feel like we need to like validate the fact that George Payton is good by bashing John Elway. When it's like, yeah, John Elway's made some mistakes, most notably quarterback. But as of now, like, if if we're gonna try and start to sprinkle all this praise on George Payton, he hasn't done anything at quarterback yet. And, 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 and that's okay. Like, I'm not saying any, like, but here's my thing. And I didn't get, like, I want to touch on this. The fact that they didn't do anything in free agency at quarterback to this point, to me, does suggest that they're looking to find somebody else to take over for Drew Locke. Because if if they were dead set on competition for Drew Locke, um, like, quote unquote, like, actual competition. Like, if they were looking at somebody who could actually push Drew Locke, you would expect them to bring in somebody who either has starting experience recently or offers the promise to be a potential starter if need be. 
look at free like look at free agency. It's Alex Smith if his leg is still intact, and again, I hope it is. Or Chase Daniel, who's a career backup. After that, you're starting to get pretty far down the list of guy. Like you don't want Nick Bolin starting games. Like he can, but you're not bringing him in to start games. And granted, like this is why like like local reports keep bringing up the trade candidates. But there was reports from NFL Network's James Palmer that said George Payton is not going to look to bring in a guy who's just marginal a marginal improvement. So I really doubt he's going to go out and trade a high draft pick to bring in Sam Darnold. Like we we had Tim Jenkins on. He said, "You bring in Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold's probably the guy." Like that's you don't bring him in in hopes that he can compete and then be the backup. And it's probably a similar story with Gardner Minshew. Maybe not because he was a 6-round pick, but I would think that you bring him in, it's going to be pretty contentious competition. And and to the fact that they haven't done that yet, either A, might just be because the, the cost to trade for these guys is too high, or because Peyton has his eyes set on something bigger. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, we said this, regardless of who the GM was going to be, is that what they did at quarterback was going to define their success in Denver. As the, the same way that it's been since John Elway came, his success has been defined by what he's been able to do at quarterback and obviously what he's put around that quarterback um, in terms of some of the teams that he built with Peyton Manning. But over these last several years, John Elway's kind of litmus test has been, you know, obviously he improved in his in the draft. They brought in some good talent. I like a lot of stuff that they've done, but you know, that quarterback is still a, a massive hole on the roster. And so George Payton, that was going to be the big challenge coming in for Payton is you would, you would evaluate him by what he did at quarterback. And I'm not saying he needs to solve it this year, right? Because it's a big, it's a big question mark, but that will be kind of the ultimate test. I think for George Payton is long to me, the two, two things long-term, what does he do overarching for the culture? Because I think that's a big piece of what the GM does. Like a lot of people get fixated on, Oh, who do you draft and what are the moves that you make and who do you sign in free agency? Um, and I made this joke in the in the Mile High Report chat. Like, th- there's not a lot of signings out there that you couldn't like crowdsource from Twitter and still do a pretty good job. Like the signings that Denver made so far, and I'm not saying they're bad. I'm not knocking or diminishing. But they're not. But they're not outlandish. They're not crazy moves. They all made it's, sense. It's all, to most of it, us. Yeah, and they all made sense. And everybody said, "Yeah, I would have done that." You know, and so. It's not like that's not why you're bringing a guy like George Payton in. You're bringing a guy like George Payton in for long-term stability for the franchise, building a culture, and then the draft scouting and quarterback stuff. And so I think that's the piece that we still have yet to see from him of what can he do in the draft and maybe uncovering some gyms and putting a scouting background to work, but then what is he going to do at the quarterback position? Well, and to your point too, and again, we do this. Like I do this too. We all get caught up on the draft success. I actually just wrote a piece that will drop today with this pod. The the best teams like throughout like the last 20 years in draft hit rate is like 60%. So like everyone still hit, like has misses. Like we, we get fixated on these big misses, but it's like every team has them. Bill Belichick goes through cold streaks and there is a certain degree of luck involved. Like you'll get some words. It's the human factor. 
some guys just aren't cut out to make it in the NFL. Like it happens. Like we can't, you can't like over, like you can't get too caught on that. So I do agree with you. Cause the thing, the thing with Peyton is he has to get quarterback right because that, and the fact that like everything else, if he can set the culture, you're setting the Broncos up for the next 10 plus years. Yeah. And I would say too, that the draft, um, draft success follows directly along with longevity and like system stability as well. And so that's the other thing that you're hoping George Payton brings is that he's not going to recycle coaches constantly that, you know, he has a long-term vision for the future and they want to build some type of stability across the roster so that you can start to bring in guys and, you know, you have misses here and there, but for the most part, you've got a overall yeah, you've got a process and you've got a development pipeline that you can plug these guys into. And that drastically improves your hit rate, if it were. It makes it look like the, you're, you're picking better guys, but really you're developing the guys that you did pick better. And that's, to me, is 50% of drafting is how do you, what do you do with them after you draft them? And so on that, like kind of like related to this, I want to bring this up because this is something I thought was interesting when I was looking at the one-year contracts and all the flexibility and stuff. The Broncos have 32 players. If you count Bradley Chubb, the Broncos have 32 players who have contracts that expire after this year as of now. And I'm not going to read all 32 because there's a lot. And some of these guys are like bubble guys near the bottom of the roster. But the big ones, it's like Von Miller, Melvin Gordon, Bryce Callahan, Kyle Fuller, Cortland Sutton, uh, Royce Freeman, Tim Patrick, Alexander Johnson, uh, Kareem Jackson. Like if, if if things don't go as planned this year, next year's roster is probably going to look very, very different as it starts to change more towards Peyton's guys. And again, I'm not saying that to be an alarmist. I'm just saying like, that's kind of how he set this up. Like this is the year for Fangio to prove that he is the right coach. And I hope, and again, I hope he does, but if not, Peyton is able to then set the stamp and kind of move towards whatever else, like the next sit, like whatever he's doing next. And yeah. all these guys can be brought back, like probably, you know. Yeah, and maybe that what's next is everything stays the same yeah. from a coaching yeah. standpoint, but you're refreshing the roster just because that's what's, you know, that's what's going to happen. I mean, you look at across those names, and I mean, I think Vaughn Miller is a guy that, depending on how he plays this year and what his health looks like, you, you want him to stay around in Denver as long as possible, yep. you know, potentially at a different price. I don't think Melvin Gordon will stay. I think Denver probably, as much as I hate it, I think Denver will probably go draft uh, running back in the draft. Maybe even in the t- you know in the in the higher rounds. I hope they look at it in the middle rounds. Um, if I think they, he be running back drafted, if they draft a running back way too high, I will be mad, but I will be slightly less mad if it's Javante Williams because <laughs> I I effing love Javante Williams. Uh, but yeah, so but I would say you know look for that. Obviously, um, if you're looking at players in the draft, I think running back has to be on that. Um, Bryce Callahan, I think it comes down to health. Kyle Fuller will be interesting. I think that's why cornerback is still very much on the table in the draft. Is you're potentially moving on from two corners next year, and so you want to have that young, fresh pipeline. I think Cortland Sutton is a guy that you have to keep around and pay, and so. Maybe that's where some of that cap rollover comes into. And then Alexander Johnson is an interesting one. I think he's another guy that, you know, obviously you would want to probably hang on to. But other than that, I think there's flexibility to either bring some of those guys back on the cheap or you you draft their replacement or something like that. There's not a lot of key names past that. And so um, I will throw out this too. It's, it's interesting. Bringing back Kareem Jackson changed this a little bit, but 
before Kareem Jackson, Von Miller was the oldest person on the team, and he was the only only team member outside of kicker and punter. I think McManus is still under 30, but the punter's over 30. But Von Miller was the only player over 30 on the roster. Now Kareem Jackson's on the roster. He's over 30. But um, that's a really young team for Denver. And you look at some of those guys maybe aging off again next year if Kareem Jackson goes on, um, you're, you're getting even younger. And so that's just an interesting observation as we look across the roster is that Denver is, is really young and poised to, I think, you know, stay good for a while if they can get the right pieces in place. Well, and that's one of the things I really like about the free agent signings is that all these guys outside of Kareem Jackson and Von Miller being brought back, all these other guys were in their prime. Like Ronald Darby, like you said, was 27. Shelby Harris is right in that age range. Justin Simmons. So like these guys are all in the middle of the best part of their athletic career. Like historic, like data says that this is when they're going to be playing at their peak and the Broncos have them like this is. And the other part of it is like you mentioned, the fact that the cap's exploding, um, it's either going to happen next year or the year after where the cap starts to really jump. So, like, Cortland Sutton, Cortland Sutton's deal next year might, like, it'll, it'll, here's what I expect. I expect it to get floated as, like, oh, man, he's asking for so much money. But it's, like, Cortland Sutton is one of the few true X receivers in the NFL. If he's healthy. If he can get back to 2019 form, he's a $20 million receiver. Like, there's not a doubt in my mind. Um, what's going to be interesting is if they try and juggle that between him and Tim Patrick, because Tim Patrick is very good. He's not a $20 million receiver. Like Colton Sutton is a difference maker in a way that he draws double teams. He makes everyone better. That's really hard to do. Most teams in the league don't have that guy, but yeah, if the cap's exploding, like they're going to be able to retain him. And maybe I, and we can talk to this at a different, at a different time, but I think I'm just more down on Tim Patrick than the rest of Broncos country. I'm like, I want to bring him back. I want to pay money to bring him back. Like, I think he's fine, but well, no, I, I was well, not impressed with some of his play last year. Let's have this discussion. Okay. We got five minutes before we have to wrap. Let's okay, okay, okay. My thing is this. I think Cortland Sutton is an A-plus receiver if he's healthy. Like, he's, again, he's a top 10 receiver. I would pay him, and I don't care. Like, Tim Patrick can go. And I like Tim Patrick. The big thing is, if you're not going to pay Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick gives you at least an overlapping skill set to step in and be like a B-level X receiver. Yeah, yeah. And I would say that. Like, that's probably the the role that Tim Patrick serves. But other than that, like, I think he doesn't serve it as, like, above any, like, replacement level that you could just come – I think you could easily – if you needed to replace Cortland Sutton or, like, have hedging for leverage or something if the contract talks got um, – you know, a little bit shaky, I think you could easily replace Tim Patrick on the roster. Um, and it maybe it's just I have a bad taste in my mouth after watching some of the film, particularly I think midway through the season, is just I felt like he quit on, on routes way too much. And maybe it was a miscommunication and maybe it was, I mean, you're, you know, the offense was struggling and um, obviously the quarterback was having issues too. And so, you know, I don't want to hold that against him too much, but I was just not impressed by a lot of what I saw from from Patrick last year. And so – We'll see what happens, but you know, I, I don't hate that he's on the roster. Obviously, I think he's a good player, but I, yeah, I want to. You would take Cortland Sutton over him every day of the week. Yeah. Oh, um, Cortland Sutton for sure. But um, I think you could you could easily get by with like I don't know that he brings a unique enough skill set. Like obviously he he matches in body type and he plays more of that X role like Cortland Sutton. But I think you could easily get away with if you if you wanted to you know if things got shaky with Sutton from a contract standpoint, you could still just roll with. Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler and somebody else, as opposed to saying, Oh, we have to have a Tim Patrick on the outside. 
if Cortland Sutton doesn't stick around. And this is actually this is actually kind of a good segue into like draft stuff down the road, because here's the thing: the fact that last year's uh, wide receiver class was like historically good, and then this year's wide receiver class from all like everybody I've talked to is historically good. I haven't actually not studied this receiver class because the Broncos are not going to be taking one high. I'm 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 aware of it, but I haven't been studying it. But what I know of it is quite good. It's going to be interesting how that impacts like dynamics going forward because again, like the reason running backs don't get paid is because they're really easy to replace. If that starts to happen with receivers with spread offense being so prevalent in high school and college, like we might end up seeing that and five years from now, we might end up regretting the fact that the Broncos are spending so much capital on receiver. Not to say again, I like our receivers. I'm not saying it like that, but just something to keep in mind. Um, so last thing, last thing before I let you go, cause I can't let you go without this because it'll be a, it'll be a minute before I talk to you again. Where do you think the Broncos are going at quarterback? Like gun to your head. You had to make a guess right now. And if you're wrong, you're wrong, but you had to make a guess. What do you think is going to happen? I think Denver ends up rolling with Drew Locke and seeing what he can do. And I don't hate the idea of actually bringing in Alex Smith, like that name particularly. Like I like Alex Smith. I think he's a great locker room guy. I think he's smart. I think he could probably honestly beat out Drew Locke right now um, because of the way that I think he could potentially fit into Shermer's system really well. Um, And so who knows what will happen, but I, I, I do think that, Alex Smith would be a guy you could bring in. Drew Locke is the quarterback that you want to see how he can improve. Maybe Alex Smith can help him along. And maybe it's a little bit of that, you know, Patrick Mahomes sat under Alex Smith. And so you hope that a little bit of that rubs off. But um, yeah, I think that's what ends up happening with Denver. I, I, I think that they they maybe swing for the fences on on Watson or they already tried that. And, you know, I think it's there's too much there to um, to speculate on what's going to happen. And so to, to me right now, like I, I don't want to I don't want to go there right now with, with the Watson stuff. Right. With what's happening. And so I think Drew Locke is the the guy that they try to see what he has and see if he can improve with a full offseason under his belt and all the weapons back at his disposal. And then you know, midway, midway through the season, you could still pivot to Alex Smith if you needed to, if things aren't going well. Um, so I think that's what, I, I don't know that I agree with it or that's what I would do for sure, but I think that's probably what's going to happen. Cool. Locked in baby. 